Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. can't believe the weekend's almost here. Oh, that brings me just a little bit of joy tonight, but that means we have one last hour together, and if you want to call in, talk about something to get it off your mind one last time, the number is the same. 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. Always feels good, and I know people like hearing a little Rebecca Black. It really doesn't feel like the weekend until it's time to play that song. Was it last week? It was. Last week, I was down the hall filling in for our sister station, and the morning show was Mark Cox on 97.1, and I talked to the two producers, although I talked to the producer, and I said, hey, can we play Rebecca Black on this Friday? And they looked at me, and they said, you're nuts. I said, you don't understand. It doesn't feel right. It's a it's the way we kick off the weekend. Why don't you play Rebecca Black? And they said, no, we would never do that to our audience. But as it turns out, whenever I do a poll on this show, they say, yes, please keep it. Never get rid of that Friday song. It just doesn't feel proper to start the weekend without that song. See, there's a big difference, I guess. This nighttime crew, we're just a little bit, uh, we got a loose screw here and there, and we like things like that, and we're not afraid to admit it. Oh, it's just me? Okay. Maybe it's just me that has the loose screw. So if you want to call in, you can. 314-436-7900. And later this hour, we have an interview that I think you're really going to enjoy. We're going to talk to a public historian and someone that is going to be bringing in the Edison tinfoil. Not the tinfoil hat, but the Edison tinfoil recording that was set here in St. Louis from 1878. Andrew Wanco is his name, and the exhibit is going to be at the History Museum at the end of August. It's super exciting. We'll talk to him about that discovery. It's tied to St. Louis and its significance and why it's so significant. Before we uh, do that and before we move on, I have to mention that if it wasn't for the lawnmower ban, the one that gets out there and mows the lawn, I'm about at that point, and I feel like now that we're getting close to April, and all the rain that we received and all the rain we're continuing to receive, that grass is going to be growing. 
So you know that's going to be happening in your neighborhood. There's no denying it. You're going to be out mowing soon. Let's see what uh, Kevin Klein has to say with his latest whole nother story. You could smell something we haven't smelled for a long time the other day. The smell even a block away. Donald Westbrook is the man who gets to smell fresh-cut grass all day long. It gives you a fresh feeling that spring is here. It's a calm, pleasant feeling, and it, it relaxes, puts you in a relaxed mode. Do you think uh, it would be a good cologne scent, uh, fresh-cut grass? I don't think the women are care for it too much, because... And then I have allergies too, so I wouldn't want that. Yeah. But just, but just the uh, the aroma it, it brings spring in. It, yeah. it gives you a thought of spring and summer. What memories does it? As you're going back row after row, do you think about different memories of the warm weather seasons in your life? Well, part of, part of it is cutting it. Uh oh! I love my computer is starting to freeze. Okay, I'm sorry. Well. Part of, part of it is cutting it. I, I love to cut it. Ever since I was a kid, I loved to mow the grass and trim the grass and cut, any, you know, cut the grass. So, Remember how old you were when you were, was it your dad? He let you cut it for the first time? Probably about 15. I remember when I finally got to cut the lawn, I kind of felt like I had grown up, like I'd earned my dad's approval a little bit. Yeah, I guess you, you do feel like you've grown up and that he's turning it over to you and lets you you know, take over. You think that's part of the reason you're in the business? Well, I love, I loved outdoors, and yeah, that would be part of it. Just, just to maintain it because I look at these parks as my own home. You know, you want your home to look nice, and you want the grass to look beautiful, and the trimming and everything. And like I said, as part of the downtown, it makes downtown looks good. Well, it looks tremendous, and it smells wonderful oh thank you thank you thank you we try our best to make it look good because uh you know you have visitors come in and you know you want them to see that how everything looks real nice there goes another siren if you can cut the grass but you can't change all the mayhem beyond the parks no you can't no you can't all you can do is do what you can and do the best best of what you can do that city parks employee, Donald Westbrook, a man who appreciates the smell of fresh-cut grass. With a whole other story, I'm Kevin Colleen. Ah, the smell of fresh-cut grass will soon be in the nostrils of many of the people listening here tonight on Overnight America. 314-436-7900. This is Overnight America KMOX. Listen anytime, anywhere. Get the Radio.com app and add KMOX to your favorites. Got a couple of things I haven't had a chance to talk much about here on the show, and I might as well take the time here because later we're going to talk history, and the Missouri History Museum has got this really cool Edison tinfoil recording that'll be making its way to the History Museum. A uh, real great preserved piece of history that was found in the 70s. And you'll you'll hear the story of it coming up in a little bit. Saw this at KMOX.com. The Mac is renamed uh, at least part of uh, an award, the Bob Plager Legends Award in honor of the late blues icon that had so much to do with the community. And the blues organization was a part of it, not only as one of the original players, but also someone that would come back and do a lot with the current players, the alumni, the organization itself. He was really a, a remarkable hockey mind. 
And the club announced that this morning, the Legends Award presented annually at the uh, Jack Buck Awards are being renamed the Bob Plager Legends Award. Isn't that cool? Plager is one of the last uh, persons to win the award when he was honored in 2019. No ceremony in 2020. You can listen to the speech online at KMOX.com and see a part of it. And I think that's pretty cool. So there's all kinds of other different hockey players that have received that. Keith Kachuk is on there, Chris Pronger, uh, Barrett Jackman. If you want to go see that for yourself. But good for him. And we're going to miss Bob Plager. Every time I go online and someone talks about him, they post a photo of them with the legend. And I never had a chance to meet him. It's almost like the entire city of St. Louis had an opportunity to run into him at some point. He was that accessible. And everyone had great stories to share about good old Bob Plager. Another story at KMOX.com. A Missouri Senate bill that would rename part of Dr. Martin Luther King Drive in St. Louis will be part of Captain David Dorn Memorial Highway. Unanimously passed the state Senate on Thursday. The new name uh, will be as part of the retired police captain who was killed by looters as part of that violent night in St. Louis in reaction to the things that happened in Minnesota. Pretty terrible. You know, he's retired. He's helping uh, a buddy guard Lee's Pawn and Jewelry, which is owned by one of his friends, and he was shot and killed. It was live streamed. People watched the confrontation. They watched him die in this video. And it's quite a shame. And that was just one of the terrible acts that happened that night. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And I got to say, the moment that we were watching these things unfold that night, officers getting shot at and hurt and injured, building set on fire, you had police captain standing in front of Mercy. Was it Mercy or Barnes Jewish? One of the, I can't remember, but crying crying, saying that all of these injuries that occurred to active duty police officers, helpless to this, we should have had more help here. And we look at the looting and the all the, everything that went on. We had no idea this happened to Captain Doran that night. It wasn't until the next morning where this was part of the identity that identified. And we start to see that this was live streamed. And can you imagine what their family members had to live through thinking that this is something that is always going to be out there a loved one of theirs. Pretty terrible. Captain Dorn and uh, his wife honored by President Trump and brought up as an example of this needs to stop. And I'm glad that here in Missouri, they're able to honor him in just even a small way. Just even a small way. Uh, let me bring this up too. What else did I have a chance? Oh, uh, Judge, as part of the Tisby case and the perjury case, that is still going forward. So a lot of people were wondering where we were on that. Remember during the uh, Greitens case, we had Circuit Attorney Kim Garner say, oh, I got all this evidence uh, transmitting this picture, and that's, uh, oh, we're going to get them. So she gets an indictment on a piece of evidence that she didn't actually have. I don't know how that happens. I mean, is it that easy to get an indictment based on a lie? I mean, how could you present this in a way to say, oh, we have it, but just trust us. And then when it comes time to present your evidence, not, there's nothing there. And how, how in the is how is it that the legal system could be so easily abused that you can just say, oh, trust us, we got it or we're going to get it without the evidence being there. And you're willing to go forward trying to prosecute someone where there is no evidence. That is a huge I mean, 100 percent politically motivated. And part of this case, it also brought up some of the problems with the way that we do handle things in the city of St. Louis. 
Let's hire all these outside consultants. We'll get a private investigator from Michigan. We'll get a Harvard law professor to consult on this. We'll pay hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayer money for this case that shouldn't even have been brought up to begin with. And oh, yeah, one of the experts that Kim Gardner brings in, Tizabee, was caught in a perjury. A perjury caught conducting perjury. Yeah, not good. On tape. Now, keep in mind, originally, part of it was, oh, we don't have this, though. The video recording didn't work. And then, oh, oh, magically, it all showed up later. You know, likely story or whatever. It's kind of shady to begin with. But still, evidence comes forward. And then people realize that, oh, they kind of uh, lied, uh, considering that they thought this tape didn't exist. And then when the tape did exist, they were caught. Oh, boy, all the things that we said about this that weren't true. Now we're in trouble. So that's part of it. So former FBI agent William Tisby accused of lying under oath during a deposition and a grand jury indicted him with six counts of perjury, one count of tampering with evidence. Not good. And this is the type of um, this is the type of caliber we're looking at that is surrounding the circuit attorney's office. One miss after another one miss, one miss, one miss. We also had the Stockley case. That was a big waste of time as well. That also caused so much division. I feel like there is just uh, what they do is they invest in division because it always comes back to help them. We got to cut this out. We got to stop this. And now that Eric Wrighton said that he's going to run for the open Senate seat, the one that Roy Blunt is going to be vacating. I'm, I know that it's only going to heat up from here on out. I, I think the only way he's going to be able to vindicate himself as someone that's able to do the job and shake off all the baggage is to prove the baggage was really something that was uh, politically motivated, as in we're going to point out that the circuit attorney's office and Kim Gardner shouldn't have brought this up. I was targeted. It was politically motivated. Here's the m money and the donations to where they came from. Here's why it's politically motivated. Oh, and by the way, she, in order to get this off the ground, uh, she didn't have the evidence to begin with, and they had committed perjury during this whole, during this whole case. So I, I think that he can come back and just show all of these things and say, yeah, I got baggage, but I want you to look at how it came about. And all of this being disproven now, maybe you can give me a second chance. I think that's the only way Eric Wrighton will have a chance. So, yes, this needs to go forward. You shouldn't have an FBI agent uh, accused of lying under oath in a deposition on camera and tampering with evidence and be able to get away with that. And what was Kim Gardner's involvement with all of this? As circuit attorney, did she know? Did she enable him to lie under oath? And did she not report it? Was she negligent in her duties as circuit attorney or any attorney, let alone not just a circuit attorney? These are all things that need to come forward. What else we got here? Um, oh, you know, I, I brought this up in the first hour and I wanted to mention it one more time. Today would have been Robert Hyland's 101st birthday. So he was born in 1920, March 25th, 1920. Robert Hyland, the former general manager of KMOX, someone that is very well known nationwide in the radio industry as someone that really took the risk and gamble and it paid off when it came to talk radio. He was the one that brought this vision forward and said, OK, we're getting rid of the music library and we're doing a talk format, interview format. We're going to call it at your service. We're going to connect the people with the experts and the politicians. We're going to give them a say, an ability to ask the questions. We're going to bring out the relevant information, in-depth reporting and investigative journalism. We're going to bring it to St. Louis. And you know what? Even beyond, hundreds of radio stations imitated KMOX because of the successes here. And it all started with the vision that Robert Island had. And he was able to 
bring out for decades. It's hard because when you do something as extraordinary as creating a talk format as a viable option for a radio station, the difficult thing is, how do you follow up with that? But he followed up with 60s and the 70s and the 80s and even up until his death in the 90s. For decades, KMOX was the top radio station and looked at as one of the best radio stations in the entire country, not only for the news and the interviews and the talk, but for sports as well. America's sports voice. You know how difficult that is to stay on top for 30 years? It's all because he had not only this vision, but the bedrock he built it from. So I wanted to play a couple of clips of Robert Highland, and let me just play this one. I'll do this. Uh, CBS CEO at the time, Peter Lund, complimenting Robert Highland when they were celebrating 20 years of ser- at your service. Well, it really is delightful. 20, that's magnificent, 20 years. Well, it's, it's been a very great uh, love affair that we've had with our community here, and they've responded tremendously, and we're delighted to celebrate this 20 years. And as I said to members of the staff this morning, I'm sure whoever is here 20 years from now will still be doing at your service. I'm sure you're right. I, I really should say, in a, in, a, in a moment of seriousness, uh, Bob, how proud everybody at uh, CBS is of you and all of the people at KMOX for the job you've done over the last 20 years and more. Yeah, such a cool thing. So looking back to the question was asked by Peter Lund. What is the highlight of, of uh, at your service over the last 20 years? Well, if you ask a broadcaster, they'd all say they were, Peter. That's our Ann Keefer. What do you think is our Well, we've had so many highlights and so many thrills, millions of phone calls and thousands of guests. Uh, we've had so many, Peter, it's hard to put them in uh, really in, in order. What, what would be the biggest thrill? Yeah, what would be the biggest thrill when you have a million things that are significant? You would have been 101 today, Robert Highland. Let's hope we get him in the Radio Hall of Fame. I really hope that happens. Joining us after the break is a public historian and someone that wants to talk about this awesome Edison tinfoil that will be coming back home to St. Louis later this year to the History Museum. Andrew Wanko joins us right after the break. It's Overnight America, KMOX. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Cardinal Spring Training is underway in Jupiter, Florida. And KMOX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Hear his daily reports, mornings and afternoons. And on Cardinals Open Live, sponsored in part by T.R. Hughes Homes. On your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. And joining us now is a public historian to talk about something pretty exciting. At least it excites me. Something that's coming here to St. Louis towards the end of the year, a cool exhibit, is Andrew Wanko. Thank you for coming on to Overnight America. Hey, thanks for having me. I like that something that is listed as one of the top 25 audio treasures is going to be in St. Louis, but it was actually recorded here in St. Louis, and it has to do with an Edison tinfoil recording from 1878. And I got to mention that I think a lot of people have seen some of the Edison different um, cylinders, the wax cylinders, and some people may even be old enough to have owned one. And I've seen them displayed and I've seen them used and demonstrated on how they record it. I don't know much about anything when it comes to tin foil recording. So this is a new one for me. So can you kind of explain what this St. Louis recording is all about? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you've been a historian, as long as I have, you think you've heard every biggest and oldest and first there is about the city. But this was a fascinating story we stumbled on. Uh, It turns out the oldest existing American sound recording we can still hear today was made right here in St. Louis, as you mentioned, on a piece of tinfoil, which is so bizarre to most people to think that that was how they recorded sound once upon a time. Uh, Back in 1877, Thomas Edison invented the phonograph. It was the very first device that could ever successfully record and play back sound. This is a massive moment. You know, every piece of recorded music that we've ever heard since draws back to this single moment when he invented this incredible machine. So he eventually realized that wax was a very good substance to record sound onto because it was very smooth. So as you mentioned, he, he was popularly known for using wax cylinders. But before that, when he first was experimenting with sound, he actually was using tinfoil as the very first medium he was recording sounds onto. And the way That's it amazing. Worked, 
Yeah, it's incredible to think. You know, it, when you look at this, the St. Louis foil, it looks like a piece of aluminum foil like you would get off of a roll, you know, when you're making a casserole or something. Uh, it's really incredible to see. So what the way it worked was you would hand turn a crank and you had this piece of tinfoil wrapped around a cylinder and you shouted or sang at this, uh, at this piece of tinfoil and a little needle would scratch the vibrations of your voice onto the tinfoil. You could then record, you could then... Uh, play back the recording that you had just made by running it through the crank again. But every time you did that, the quality got worse and worse. You know, imagine yourself trying to get a piece of aluminum foil off the roll, how quickly it crinkles up and gets ripped. This was the big problem, and that's why these things are so incredibly rare today. This is one of two known tinfoil recordings that exist in all of America that are actually still playable. The other one is an 1880 recording that's in the collections of the Henry Ford Museum in Detroit. So this is an unbelievably rare uh, piece of music and audio history, and it's amazing that it has this St. Louis connection. Yeah, I've been to the Henry Ford Museum in Greenfield Village where they have the Edison Workshop and they give demonstrations on how this equipment works. They have a lot of his equipment and his tools and things you can go and look at and watch. We know that Ford and Edison are pretty close in that sense, and I know that there's a big statue at Edison out there. And it's so fascinating to see this, and this must have went completely over my head because I don't remember seeing any tinfoil recordings. The thing I don't understand is that in the same way of the, they record this, if anyone's seen like an apple peeler where you put an apple in and then you crank the one side and essentially the apple rotates as you're cranking it and it hits like a little cutter on the end, a little knife or a razor, and then it slightly starts to, you know, cut the apple core into circles. It kind of reminds me of a, a device like that where this cylinder would move down and the needle would just scrape over the wax. But in this case, it's tinfoil. And what I don't understand looking at this photograph, is this is a long strip of tinfoil. It looks like it would have wrapped over this coil or wrapped over this tube three or four times. So how did they actually use the tinfoil as a recording and have it that long? So when you see the uh, piece of tinfoil in real life, it's about 15 inches long and about five inches wide. So it's actually a pretty small object in itself. Uh, But the cylinder was so fat, they would wrap it all the way. When you wrapped it around, the full 15 inches was used. So um, when you listen to the recording, the the St. Louis foil recording, you'll hear this noise going as as the uh, cylinder is being turned because that's where the piece the end pieces of the tin foil were folded over one another so that's uh-huh. the needle jumping over the thicker uh, <laughs> portion where the where the tin foil is folded together to complete the rotation it's incredible to think how rudimentary this technology was at that time but what a massive achievement this was uh, it's funny that you mention it looking sort of like an apple core the St Louis Post Dispatch when this was being demonstrated in 1878 uh, sort of shared that same opinion uh, oh. <laughs> in the articles they wrote about it. They they said um, housewives would be mistaken for thinking it was some sort of new clothes uh, dryer. Other people might think it was a coffee grinder. <laughs> Apparently that was a big deal that everybody was saying what they thought this, this crazy new invention looked like. <laughs> this is cool. So the Missouri Historical Society, I was looking at some photos that you sent me in an email, and I'm looking at a picture of the tinfoil that spread out. In the picture, it looks longer. So I, I didn't realize it was about 15 inches. And by the way, joining us is a public historian, Andrew Wanko uh, on KMOX. And I also want to admit this may be the first time I've seen Thomas Edison 
young. The only photographs I've seen of Edison, he's, he's older. So this is kind of strange, yeah. too, to see him sitting next to his invention and showing this thing off. What I find, too, is the different uh, branding of this thing. I like looking at, you know, recorded for all time, specimen of sound vibrations on tinfoil, the wording, the typography, the way that everything's laid out, uh, the cursive, all of this. Um, it, it, and I just, I think the whole package of everything that's put together is so exciting. So when is this going to be on display? So this is going to be coming here. Um, the, the actual foil itself um, lives in the collections of the Museum of Science and Innovation in Schenectady, New York, uh, which, is, of course, is the home of General Electric, which was um, a company that, that grew out of a company that Edison first founded. So uh, the way they actually got this thing was back in 1978, they had a 100th anniversary ex exhibition, and a woman who was living in Connecticut at the time donated it to the museum. Uh, she said her father had been a Midwest antiques dealer, and it had always been sitting behind the counter in his antique shop, and uh, it was one of his favorite prized possessions, but she didn't know where he had gotten it from. The only way we know that it actually came from St. Louis is it was still in the original envelope that it was... <sighs> put in in 1878 and we have photos of that envelope itself and it says right there on the front of the envelope uh recorded for all time as you mentioned um and it gives the address on fourth street where it was recorded it was a hat shop uh, and we we went back in in the uh, archives of our our newspaper microfilm, and we actually found advertisements for this particular performance on june twenty second of eighteen seventy eight um <clears throat> It's amazing that we can we can put together all these little clues and pieces to figure out more and more about this thing. So this is going to be on display. It's, again, as I was mentioning, it's a loaned item that uh, the Museum of Science and Innovation was so kind to let us borrow this for this incredible exhibit we have opening in August. It's going to be called the St. Louis Sound. The exhibit will be a look at all of St. Louis's popular music history from the dawn of recorded sound, which obviously starts with this tinfoil, uh, all the way up into the 2000s. We're going to cover a little bit of everything from across St. Louis's uh, popular music history. Some of the other objects we'll have on display, a, a dress that Tina Turner wore on The Tonight Show, a dress worn by Josephine Baker, riverboat jazz clothing and instruments from the 1920s, trumpets of Miles Davis and Clark Terry. We will even have Fontella Bass's personal gold record that she was given for her hit 1965 song, Rescue Me. So we have this incredible exhibit with all of these really fun artifacts. Um, obviously, by August, it, it seems like the world is, is getting to a better place pandemic-wise. So hopefully by August, we're going to be able to invite some big crowds back in and uh, get people back in a really big way at the museum for this really, really fun cool. show. So what you sent me an audio clip of what it sounds like. I'd like to play it for everyone so they can kind of get an understanding. Because when you sure. say that, it is the oldest playable. So you actually... To me, it's so delicate. I wonder how you could even get sound out of this thing. But maybe I'll ask you after the process of trying to even listen to it. So to try to get an idea, many people have seen a record player. So they know that there's a little needle that picks up on the grooves of the record. And the tinfoil looks very similar to that, where you can kind of see the little grooves in it. So being able to pick up audio from tinfoil from the 1800s, you can probably guess 1878. It may sound a little rough, but you can hear the music. And it's tough to make out, but I just want to give everyone an idea of what it sounds like so we can talk a little bit more about it. So here is an example of the St. Louis tinfoil recorded in 1878. 
right. That's about 30 seconds of it. I'll, I'll leave it at that. So it sounds like, so if, anyone that may have been listening, it might have been difficult to understand. But to me, it sounded like uh, someone playing a trumpet. And then afterwards, they sang or yelled into whatever the microphone was being used at the time. I can't really tell what they're saying, but do we know anything about who was recorded and what was recorded? We know a surprising amount, or at least have a pretty good idea of a surprising amount of what that, you know, that dinosaur ancient sort of sound that you just heard. We know quite a bit about it. Um, so, again, Edison, pat- uh, he patented the uh, phonograph, invented in 1877, patented a few months later in early 1878. In April of 1878, a man named Thomas Mason, who was a St. Louis uh, newspaper reporter, and he wrote sort of like funny editorial cartoons for the St. Louis Republican newspaper under the pen name IX Peck. Uh, he bought one of the first 10 phonographs in existence. You know, today you can go to Target and, and buy a radio or a uh, CD player or an iPod or what, you know, whatever, whatever sort of medium you want to listen to music on. There's hundreds and thousands of them available. He had one of the first 10 phonographs in the entire country, which meant there probably wasn't another one for hundreds of miles around. He paid $95 for it at a time when the average laborer was probably making about $10 a week, an incredible amount of money he paid for this thing. So uh, Thomas Mason was one of the only people around who had a phonograph, plus he was the person who listed the advertisements in the newspaper. So we are fairly certain that that is the voice of St. Louis newspaper reporter Thomas Mason that you're hearing there. It starts with a 30-second cornet solo, uh, which is um, a, uh, a wind instrument. And then um, after that, he begins reciting Mary Had a Little Lamb and uh, the nursery rhyme Old Mother Hubbard. It's so funny. At the at very end of the recording, he actually messes up the words to Old Mother Hubbard and laughs at himself. So not only is it the oldest sound recording we can hear today, it's, uh, it also contains the world's oldest heard blooper <laughs> because he messes up his own recording. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing it to hear that ghostly voice. Yeah. Oh, it is strange. And to think. That may be, I wonder how old he was when he recorded that, because you think about the recorded history that might have been uh, thinking about the timelines of when he was born or whatever, and the preserved history of something that you never thought you'd be able to hear. But he sang Mary Had a Little Lamb, and isn't that the same thing that Thomas Edison recorded in his first recording? Yes, yeah, so Thomas Edison, um, the, the actual recording itself is, has long since been lost to time, but Thomas Edison widely told people that the first recording he ever made on the phonograph was Mary Had a Little Lamb. And in 1927, at, on the 50th anniversary of the phonograph, uh, Thomas Edison famously recorded himself singing Mary Had a Little Lamb. Uh, this time it was recorded on video uh, because by that time you could do that sort of thing. Um, and so it's amazing that it has this this tie. It's, it's just a coincidence as far as we know, uh, but it's amazing that it has this tie even further to that Edison story. Unfortunately, it's, it's sad to say, if you look at uh, Thomas Mason's life a little bit further, he was right, unbeknownst to him, he was right at the end of his life. Uh, three weeks after that recording was made, a massive heat wave swept across Missouri, and Thomas Mason was one of the people who was killed uh, from a bout of heat stroke. He was famous enough that his death was uh, even recorded in the New York Times. 
So it, it adds even another more ghostly sort of chilling layer. It's chilling to sort of hear that audio, but then to think uh, three weeks later he was actually dead. It's it's such an amazing uh, sort of chilling and eerie thought. Wow, that is something. Yeah. And then it probably helps to really figure out the date itself it was recorded. Because, I mean, you time it down, you say June 22nd. That's got to be difficult to tell that was June 22nd, though. Looking at the newspaper reports, uh, uh, he actually took out advertisements. He was giving these demonstrations very regularly. You can find at least five or six different dates where he put out an advertisement at the Steinberg Hat Shop. Again, this Saturday, come down and hear this marvelous new machine. The reason we know it was June 28th was because on that envelope that I mentioned, the original envelope that this recording was kept in, somebody hand-wrote June 28th, 1878 with a pencil. So it's amazing that you're seeing this, not only hearing this thing, uh, this ghostly sound of the past, but we can pin it down to the exact day. Wow. It is really remarkable that all of these things lined up the way they lined up, and someone just happened to have something saved somewhere. I got to I got to tell you, this is kind of the dream of anyone that goes to a garage sale. They hope that one day they can stumble across something like this. This is a once in a lifetime type of find. What an exciting piece of American history to record and hold on to. And what a coincidence. Maybe Mary Had a Little Lamb was more popular than I could ever imagine just being so far removed yeah. from the 1800s. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of musical uh, pop culture songs that everyone knew the lyrics to. That was the go-to. Uh, it's so remarkable, the whole thing. Uh, have you seen this, by the way, in person? Have you seen this up close? Yes. And, uh, you know, we as a historian, you sort of get a little jaded getting to see so many cool things all the time. You know, we're always down in the in the collections, getting to see these incredible pieces from history. But when this actually finally arrived at the museum from the Museum of Science and Innovation in New York, uh, when it was opened for the first time, it was one of those moments of chills where I just couldn't believe here I was standing in front of this actual thing. And then again, just the other day, when the Library of Congress announced that it was one of their 25 recordings selected for the uh, Registry of Recordings, that it was a, another moment to think I've actually stood right next to this thing and, and been wow. in its presence. It was a, an incredible moment. <laughs> yeah, and one other question, and just the process of trying to get audio off of this tinfoil. And by the way, uh, Andrew Wonko joining us, a public historian, and talking about an exhibit that will be coming to the History Museum here in St. Louis soon, just in a few months, really, towards the end of the summer. I've seen different specials where they use special laser technology and then they try to like study mummies, for example, or they'll put something underneath a, a machine and they'll use that machine and computer AI to regenerate whatever. So how did they actually get the audio off of this tinfoil? And was it was there any technology that was used in order to try to get it off of it that or is it just really the best thing you can do is crank it through one of these old machines? <laughs> That's, that's the amazing part of all of this, is that for so long it was such a mystery. So when this was donated to the Museum of Science and Innovation in, in 1978, it was already 100 years old, and nobody knew what was on it. Playing it back through an actual phonograph machine would have instantly destroyed it. It would have been, been ripped to shreds. There was no other way to, to actually access the sounds contained on this thing at any time throughout history until very recently. 
So in 2012, the museum got in touch with a laboratory in Berkeley, California, and they were able to actually make a high-resolution scan of the foil surface and rebuild a 3D model of the recorded ridges. You know, so when when a a record player reads the ridges on a vinyl record, for instance, it's running along these tiny grooves that have all of the sound information captured in them. Well, they were able to rebuild this model of of all of that information, and that is how they were able to sort of play this thing for the first time. So it was silent for 134 years, and no one knew what was on it. When they first heard it again in 2012, that was probably the first time anyone had ever heard it since the day it was recorded way back in 1878. So the Missouri uh, History Museum this summer will have that new exhibit. It starts at the end of August, and we're going to have to keep an eye out for this remarkable piece, the St. Louis Tinfoil, recorded all the way back in 1878. Public historian Andrew Wanko, thank you for coming on and talking about this piece tonight on Overnight America. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This really is so cool. He joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America KMOX. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. It's hard to believe that this is the end as the weekend is near. I am looking forward to spending time with the family and to try to get more gumballs up this weekend. I'm already not looking forward to it. You know, my kid's on spring break, and it would have been the time where we go to school, and he says, look, look at the time. It's time to go to school. He's trying to be funny with me, and I say, we got to get you going. So I picked him up. He's 60 pounds. You know, he's he's a healthy, healthy kindergartner. 60 pounds. I pick him up on my shoulder, and I start running around the house like, we got to get your shoes. We got to get you dressed. We got to get out the door. And I ran out the front door uh, like we were going to try to get to the car or whatever. But instead, you know, I was just going to the mailbox and I did that. And he was on my shoulder for all of 60 seconds while we were doing this. And it pretty much threw out my back <laughs> getting old. I'm getting so old. So this weekend, I plan on probably slipping a disc and doing some more yard work and getting all of that done, because I know all the neighbors are going to be shaming me when they start their lawnmowers up. Whatever you may be doing, let's stay in contact by Facebook. If you want to, Ryan Recker Radio, if you're on Facebook, give that a like. You can find me on Twitter. You could just wait patiently until Sunday night, and I know you'll be enjoying yourself, whatever you may be doing. Uh, just do it safe. I hope to at least hear from you. we got a couple of replay hours coming up next, and one of those replay hours I think you're going to be able to listen to Uh, an interview that we talked to with uh, Dr. Moore. And the nice thing about Dr. Moore is that he talks about threats of doom. So I think you'll enjoy that. Have a great weekend. We'll see you soon. Bye. Heartbeats with the lonely rain Wishing I could see your face again All-Star Closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.